Thanks for tuning in to this podcast. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to send us your story by visiting our website at freedomlifeag.com. Welcome to Freedom. Last week, we opened up this wonderful series called Do You See What I See? The Christmas series that we've been um, tackling this month. And do you see what I see was based on the idea that there are things in scripture that you, that you have may, may have overlooked or didn't see, but led to the understanding of who Jesus is and how the, even into the old Testament, um, we have found the hidden treasures of Jesus. And we sat, we found last week, uh, the message was entitled, do you see the seed? Do you see the seed? And so uh, actually, the message title was What's in the Frame? But the idea was about the seed. The, the idea was about God has this framework. And he has uh, this framework that he has created. He has created for you. And the frame is still intact. God's framework for you is still intact. But we have to also realize that the enemy has a seed. The enemy has an idea, a plan uh, to destroy you. And while we want to sing Kumbaya, some people just want to kind of go about Christianity that way. The enemy doesn't like you or anything that you're about when you follow Jesus. And so we have to be very uh, deliberate when we say we want to follow Jesus. We have to understand that if we don't walk in the fullness of his spirit, we will, account, we will encounter things that are beyond us and that we cannot conquer. And so do you see what I see was based on the idea of looking at Christ and the, the Christmas story kind of in a little bit of a different perspective. Kind of in a, in a light, in light of a couple of different things. Last week we, we spoke about Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And in that story we find that when Adam and Eve, this is just asked after Adam and Eve had sinned. You know, they were about to be cast out of the garden. But God turns directly to Satan and he says this. He says basically, you will be accursed forever. Now, man got their punishment but there was something that God wanted to do. And he said, and I, I talked about it last week. He said that you may bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And what does that mean? Other than the fact, simply this. It says this, it says that you may have won this battle, but I have won the war. It's pretty quiet here this morning. You may have won this battle, but I have won the war. You may bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a bruise than something crushed. And plain and simple, God made it very clear that he had a redemption plan for you and for me. Do you see what I see? And so we talked about that a little bit last week. If you don't know, we have a podcast. Download that. Listen to that message as we lead into week two here. Week two, this message is entitled, He Has Arrived. He Has Arrived. Do you see the Lamb? Do you see the Lamb? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. For those of you that may not have your Bible right now, um, I want to just kind of enlighten you to a couple things because Christians... Most Christians uh, would recognize the lamb as a familiar biblical image. It's often connected with Christmas and Easter. And so we look at the story, and though lambs aren't specifically mentioned in the Christmas story, 
they are implied by the presence of the shepherds and the fact that Jesus was born in a what? A manger. He was born in a manger, in a stable as well. And so we look at that and we see the word lamb is not always used in connection with Jesus' birth. But we know that there must have been many flocks in the area in regards to Bethlehem. Yes? The Bible makes a connection between Jesus and the lambs in several passages. Let me just kind of enlighten you to this a little bit. Okay? The Bible makes a connection between Jesus and the lamb in Isaiah chapter 53. For those of you that take your notes, Isaiah 53 verse 7 compares the Messiah to a lamb going to be slaughtered. So even in the Old Testament in Isaiah, Jesus, the lamb, was being portrayed as one that was going to have to give it up all. All of his life. He's going to give it all up for you and for me. And so what happens is sometimes we don't realize that, that Isaiah comparing the Messiah to the lamb going to be slaughtered was also pictured throughout other parts of the Bible. For instance, John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God. And John 1, 29. And I'll talk about that in a moment. John the Baptist, here he is baptizing people. And in walks Jesus and he sees him. And what does he do? He stops the presses and he says, hold up. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. There again, there's the Lamb. Paul called Christ the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. Peter, some of you know Peter, the disciple, he, he spoke of Christ's blood as the blood of the lamb in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 19. So Jesus is continuously referred to as the lamb. And if that didn't do it for you, the book of Revelation explicitly calls Christ the lamb 30 times. 30 in one book. So Jesus himself is attributed. So can I, can I put on my teaching hat for a few moments this morning? I, I'm typically a preacher type, but I got, I got some teaching in me this morning that I want to kind of bring to the surface. Because when I talk about he has arrived, I'm talking about the one that solves all of man's problems just by showing up. Now you say to yourself, I prayed several times, Pastor Tony, and I didn't get the answer I wanted. Well... Our emotional connotations to uh, our prayers being answered can be can fluctuate. Is that right? The way that we look at our prayers being answered can change. And so oftentimes we look at our prayers being answered or not answered. And God answers every prayer. Can I make that very clear to you? Sometimes that answer is no and sometimes that answer is wait. You don't want to hear that, I know. But I'm telling you that no and wait are still answers. And when we look at the lamb, words like gentle, helpless, friendly, innocent, those are the words that probably come to mind, right? Typically, you don't show up late to work and go, I'm sorry I'm late, boss. I was attacked by a lamb. (laughs) Right? That's not typically what comes forth as an aggressive animal. You know what I mean? Don't you hate it when you're trying to go about your business and a lamb attacks you on the way to work? That's just, it's a bad day. But that's not, that's not the personality that a lamb typically has. The, the lamb is a gentle, gentle, humble, friendly, innocent creature. Now compare that with the image that was compared to even last week with Satan. The snake and the lamb. 
You couldn't get more opposite. So let's talk for a few moments about the showdown in Egypt that took place in Exodus chapter 12. For those of you that have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 12 talks about a, a, a very interesting picture that was being portrayed in scripture. This picture had to do with God hearing the prayers over 35 centuries ago. 35 centuries ago, the people of Israel were enslaved by Pharaoh. And there were Jews that were being held as slaves by the Egyptians. And 400 years they had lived in harsh, difficult conditions. And finally God had said enough is enough. And he talked to Moses and he said, go to Pharaoh. And, and I got you, I got you, I got you on this one. Go to him. I will take care of the details. And he goes to Pharaoh. And when he goes to Pharaoh, he tells him, listen, the famous words, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't take it seriously. Some of you know the story. So Moses says, okay. God has a game plan. He devises a plan. He says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, if you don't listen to my words, you will have judgment on this house. So, in all, in all intents and purposes, Pharaoh says, bring it. That's the new fractured version. It's a little bit more current. He says, bring it. And Pharaoh says, uh, Pharaoh says to him, no, I will not let your people go. In fact, they're my people and I'm not going to give this up. So, what happens? The plagues are unleashed. God shows his power. And here are the nine plagues that were uh, shown in the scripture here, uh, the water into blood, the frogs, the gnats. How many ever had like an influx of any one of these things in your life? Flies, disease upon the livestock, boils, hail, locusts. These are bad things happening in droves here, back to back to back to back judgment upon Egypt. One time I was in Ohio and I stopped at a gas station and there was a there was some sort of bug that was infested in that area at the time and I don't know what was going on but I thought I was like back in the day all of a sudden. I thought I I thought I had gone back to the future to Egypt. And there was like it looked I could have sworn it was locusts. I don't know. I was like Lord the judgment is upon us. I was like, thank God I'm Puerto Rican. I ain't Egyptian. Because I thought it was coming for me. Could have swore it was locusts. I'm not kidding you. It was like, I don't want to get out of my car. I was like, pump the gas. You get out the car, pump the gas, not me. And then the last judgment. Last one, complete darkness. I found this one to be interesting. The last, one of the last judgments that God uh, had shown upon that and the people was complete darkness. Ironically, Pharaoh was a representative of the sun god Ra. And so when we realize that Pharaoh served the sun god Ra, the god of sun... Right? That's S-U-N. And, and here, he turns around and he says, I'm going to show you who's God. And I'm going to make a complete darkness to show you that your God doesn't rule. He directly goes against the God Ra. Or the God that they understood to be Ra. To show him, you're not God, I'm God. And I'm going to cause complete darkness to show you that you may think you're the sun God. But I'm the God that actually controls things. I am in 
full control. And I, and I reign sovereignly. You can't tell me differently. God turns the tables and says, let me show you who God is. And in fact, shut down two gods simultaneously because Pharaoh was in essence his own God. Pharaoh was like God in that day. And so he shut down Ra and he shut down Pharaoh, telling them both, I'm in control. Well, how else did he do that? Well, he tried to work a plan of some sort. If you read in Exodus chapter 9, instead of saying you can go, he tried to make some deals. You say, let my people go. Well, let me work a deal with you. First, he offered to let the Jews go a short distance if they promised to return. That's not going to work for me, says God. Then he offered to let the men and the women uh, let the men go, but if the women and children stay behind, because you want to be able to have a future. Keep the women and the children behind. Keep the men. They're going to die eventually. Right? But we want the women and the children so we can have future slaves. Nope, that, that wasn't going to fly either. Finally, he offered to let them all go and let the animals stay behind. Give us something. That didn't happen. God told Moses this. Don't worry. When, when this next one hits Egypt... Pharaoh will be in a hurry to let you go. And at midnight, the unthinkable happens. The Lord would send an angel. And this angel will go through the land of Egypt and end the life of every firstborn in that place. Every firstborn would see his instant end. Egypt had just been stricken by God. He specified that no family will be excluded. The only way you could be excluded from this is a lamb to be sacrificed, taking the blood and put it on the doorpost. Some of you know the story, some of you may not. This is the only way you could escape this judgment. So, what I want to talk about here for the next few moments is simply this. How the Old Testament sacrifice of Passover, that is the sacrifice of the lambs, relates to us today. See, because God would spare the Israelites that night to make a distinction between God's people and Pharaoh's people. He made a distinction that day to me very clear. It was the blood of the lamb that saved the people that night. Not the sun God raw, not even if you followed Pharaoh, none of those things would save you. The only thing that would save you would be the blood of the land. Every year since then, 3,500 years in the making, and continuing to this year, the Jews have observed this Passover as a solemn reminder that God's amazing deliverance can and will take place when He says so. And you today have come here, and I want to tell you if God has set up your deliverance, no one can stop it. If God has set a breakthrough for you, no man can stop it. He has set up a deliverance for you. So let's talk about the Passover lamb for a few moments. And I want to talk about five similarities between the lamb that was sacrificed and the lamb that we understand to be Jesus. The final Passover lamb. So we understand the Passover was what? When the angel of death would come by and he would pass over the homes that had the blood. Here's what we're talking about. I want to point out five most notable similarities between the events of the first Passover 3,500 years ago and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that is available to us today. Does that make sense? 
So the first thing is simply this. There's five that I want to share with you. Number one, it must be a lamb. It must be a lamb. See, Exodus 12, 3 says that that each man is to take a lamb for his own household. And it couldn't be a bull or a dove or any other thing. You know that they use different animals at times, right? For sacrifices, different animals. But this one specifically said it had to be a lamb. It had to be a lamb, right? And so this lamb wasn't uh, just any lamb, but it was a, a lamb to be sacrificed. And we look back for a moment again to John chapter 1 when Jesus was walking up to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said what? Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It was a declarative statement. Watch this. It was John the Baptist saying, this guy is going to change the game. He is a game changing person. Not only that, it had to be the lamb because Revelation talked about how Jesus was the lamb as well. But this is all after John the Baptist recognized him right there, right then and made a statement. Look at the guy who changed the game. Number two, it must be without blemish. When you brought this lamb, it had to be without blemish. The Hebrew text uses the phrase phrase, without defect. Without defect. This means that the Jewish men would have to be carefully inspecting their lamb. And make sure that there were no open sores. No patches of bare skin. No infections. No diseases. In fact... No blotches or blemishes, no sickness of any kind. In fact, they would go through a multiple day process. Of They would take their lamb and they would look at this lamb and they would follow the lamb, see how it behaves. See if it's sick, see if there's anything wrong with it before they would sacrifice this lamb. 1 Peter 1.19 says this, that a lamb without blemish or defect. Right? It's not talking about the lamb 3,500 years ago. You know what he's talking about? Peter's talking about Jesus. That Jesus was the lamb without blemish or defect. And then you go on to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Though Christ was tempted in all points as men are, He was what? Without sin. He was without sin. He was the one that was sinless. When Pontius Pilate, if there was anybody, look at me, if there was anybody that wanted to find a problem, With Jesus. It was Pontius Pilate. He didn't want to have to choose himself. He wanted the people to choose. And then he would agree and move on. But he himself. John chapter 19. He says. I find no fault in him. Here's the man that was specifically looking for fault. He was looking for a reason. And even then he couldn't find any. So he's in a dilemma. What do I do? You know what he did? He washed his hands. He said, well, who do you want then? I'm not going to make this decision. There's nothing he did. Nothing that shows to me that this guy deserves this. But whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Kind of political, isn't it? I'll let you decide. Therefore, I'm not going to be to blame. He washes his hands and he lets the people have who they have. And they set free a murderer, a thief, someone that had done some horrible things. And they let him go instead of Christ the Lord. But guess what? It was all in God's plan. It was all in God's plan. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I lay it down myself. And that's the beauty of the gospel. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying to you today? The beauty of the gospel is not no man takes my life. I lay it down myself. I lay it down myself. Third thing is simply this. It must have no broken bones. Do the animal that you were going to bring to God 35 centuries ago. Specifically in Exodus 12, 46 specifically says that when they brought this, no bones were to be broken. Nothing was to be broken. It was supposed to be a perfect. And it was custom for the Romans to break the legs of those who were crucified. But when they came to Jesus, ironically, he was dead and they broke no bones. You know, what's interesting is that there were over a hundred prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And yet somehow people try to get away with the fact that he was the, they try to say he's not the Messiah. And the, 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 the specific type of prophecies, the specific prophecies that he had fulfilled, each individual one, to be able to fulfill those are mathematically out the window. Forget it. The idea that one man can fulfill all these prophecies is a mathematical who knows what. But he fulfilled all hundred. You know what's interesting though? John 19 tells us that the Roman soldiers did not break Jesus' legs because he was already dead. But then the scripture points out, and this happened to fulfill, that not one of his bones would be broken. You know, here's a thought that I thought about as I was preparing this message. Are you ready for this? If they had broken his legs that day the way they were supposed to, we would not have a Messiah. It's that simple. Point blank, period, end of story. And not just the end of story, the end of you and the end of me. Because there would be no Messiah. If the Romans would have done their job, you got one job, fulfill your job. They didn't do their job. Why? Because God foresaw, you, won't, you aren't going to break his legs. He's the Lamb of God. You ain't going to break his legs. And if they would have broken his legs, we would not have a Messiah today. And you would be in your sin, you would be in your transgressions, and we would be in desperate need of a Savior. But I'm telling you today that there was no broken bones because God ordained it. And there was a Savior named Christ the Lord who was the Passover Lamb for you and for me. Friend, if they had broken his legs, we would be dead. We would be lost. But the prophecy said there would be no broken bones. So there were no broken bones. Oh my heaven. Over and over Jesus continued, continued this trailblazing trend of being about the father's business. That's what makes serving Jesus so amazing. He has, church, I want to tell you the good news. He has arrived. When he came to earth, he came to set people free. But watch this. You know what, what really captivated me is this thought. Are you ready for this? The Jews and the people that follow God wanted a savior that was going to politically save them. They wanted someone to come in with a sword. They wanted someone to come in with a shield and set them free from the Romans. They wanted him to come in on a white horse and say, you know what? 
You no longer will have control of these people. But that would be a political savior, friend. That's not God's idea at that time. And it wasn't his idea. Because if he had done that, he would have only saved them right now. God had a bigger plan. He said, I don't come to you as a political savior. I come to you as a spiritual savior. Because while you don't, I don't come to you the way you think I should come to you. I'm saving not just you, but your children. And your children's children. And your children children's children and you and me who sit here today basking in the glory that is God because he had thought of you way back 35 centuries ago you see they wanted a political savior save us now put a band-aid on my boo-boo God he was not trying to put a band-aid he was trying to heal you And there's a difference between covering up a wound and healing a wound. And God says, you want me to cover the wound. I want to heal you from the wound. And him coming as the savior. Look at me. Him coming as the savior. Him coming as the Lord. And him coming the way he came. Was to set them and everybody else that followed free. You want a momentary savior. I'm not going to fulfill that, but I will give you the eternal savior. And that's what Jesus came as. Are you following what I'm saying? Do you see what I see? Do you see in this text how God had ordained a future for you? When he arrived, he didn't arrive just to save you for a moment. He arrived so that he would be your savior forever. And that, my friends, is what I see. Do you see the lamb? Do you see the lamb? The fourth thing is simply this. Evening time. It must have been offered between the evenings. And here's what I'm talking about. This unusual phrase is a literal translation from the Hebrew found in Exodus. And where it talks about um, between the evenings is the, is the translation. Between the evening. Say that with me. Between the evenings. And that's important. Why? Because again, this is, pro- this is prophetic. This is where the NIV says that the offerings were made at twilight. The words literally means between the evenings. Which in Jewish thought meant between 3 and 5 p.m. The sacrifices were made between 3 and 5 p.m. The Bible tells us that Jesus' body was taken down from the cross before sundown. Thus, Jesus died between the evenings, between 3 and 5, at the exact hour that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed throughout all of Israel. So while all of Israel is sacrificing their lambs, you following this? While all of Israel is sacrificing their lamb, they're taking care of their lamb, they're checking it good, okay, well, we're going to give this sacrifice. Follow this. This is good stuff. While they're sacrificing their temporary lamb, who will take away their sin temporarily, at that same time, the eternal lamb is being offered up as a sacrifice to save us from our sins eternally. At the same time, God says, you got your lamb, but I got this from here forward and gave Jesus to us. Isn't that good? The idea that God had foreknowledge and he said and he deemed you important enough 
to be able to say, I don't just want to save you now. I want to save you from here on forward. I don't want you to live life in, in need and in want. I want you to live in abundance. But I'm telling you right now that God wants more for you than you want for you. So the parallel between 3,500 years ago lamb versus the lamb at the cross was simply the same. He died at the same time that the other lambs were being sacrificed. That's amazing. And number five, number five is simply this. The blood must be sprinkled. So what am I talking about? Again, Exodus is very specific as to the, the, the describing the ritual. Once the lamb was sacrificed, it was slaughtered. And then the blood was drained from the animal. The father must take a bunch of hyssop. And this hyssop is uh, basically a leafy kind of bush. And he took this hyssop and he dipped it in the blood. And then he took that and he brushed the doorpost with it. He brushed the doorpost. And brushing that doorpost says this. I'm in agreement with your plan. Brushing that doorpost was basically saying, I agree with you and I am for your plan. Now, we understand one thing and I'm going to get real transparent for a moment. Uh, I'm going I'm to admit to you a sin that I struggle with. And I'm going to see if anybody else deals with the struggle. Have you ever come across a, a website uh, or a piece of paper that says, check here if you have read to the terms and conditions and you've checked it off. Come on, somebody. You did not read it at all. Come on, somebody. You, did, you lied like me. Anybody else ever done that? Y'all all sinners. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's done it. Don't lie. If there's one thing we all have in common is we all checked off that silly box and told them that we read everything and we didn't. You lie. You've read all the terms and conditions. No, you haven't. One day someone's going to knock on your door. We're here for your firstborn. What? What are you talking about? Come here, Johnny. I checked off terms and conditions. My bad. I didn't know that was in there. Come on. I checked it off. You know what I'm talking about? We've all been there, right? We checked off like we agreed to these terms and conditions. No, you didn't. You just want to move on. You don't want to be bothered by words. Maybe if it was pictures, right? <laughs> A little easier. Yeah, that's good. I agree with that. Yep, good. Do you agree to these terms and pictures? But we've all been there, haven't we? You know, when they took that lamb and sacrificed that lamb, they took the hiss up and they waved it on the doorpost. You know what they said? I agree to your terms and conditions. I need you and I need your savior. I need Christ the Lord. And that angel came through and slaughtered the firstborn of every household that didn't have the blood. This is a, a very solemn moment for a moment. If you think about it, parents, the responsibility that we have. And it does affect our family, every decision we make. Parents, be careful what you allow your kids to do in moderation. Because they'll do it in excess. Hello? What you allow in moderation, your children will do in excess. So be careful what you allow in your life. Warning after 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 warning. Over and over again. Pharaoh said no. 
firstborn of every household, gone. Can you imagine what it was like that day? When they put the blood on the doorpost and they closed their door and they locked it and they sat as a family. Imagine this in my mind. They sat as a family and they said to themselves, what's going to happen tonight? And then all of a sudden you would hear the wailing of parents all across the region. Of those that did not do that. The wailing and the crying and the weeping of moms and dads of their firstborn. Why? Because of the rebellious nature. The Pharaoh hardened his heart. And I'm telling you today, friend, look at me. Do you see the lamb? You need to see the lamb. And more importantly, do you accept the lamb? Do you accept the lamb? And so these five things here, the blood will be a sign for you in the houses where you are. And when, you, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So what am I talking about? God smit, he had smitten both false gods of Egypt, both Pharaoh and Ra. And all the other gods put them on notice. God of Israel is the God who rules all. So let me share with you three, three things specifically. That we are to take in for our lives today. Number one, Jesus Christ is God's lamb. Jesus Christ is God's lamb. He is the only person who meets all qualifications. He fulfills every detail of the Old Testament picture. He's no other person in the Bible that meets these requirements but Jesus Christ alone. Acts tells us there is no other name on the heaven whereby we must be saved except Jesus Christ, God's lamb. Christmas story when the aged Simeon took baby Jesus into his hands we look at Luke chapter 2 and it says verse 35 and a sword will pierce your own soul too it was a kind of a moment of prophecy that will prophetically declare that Jesus Christ himself would die for the sake of man can you imagine being in that room Here's a baby being held. And that baby was being, there was a prophecy over the baby that this baby will suffer harm. But this harm will be the, the changing of the world. Jesus alone, friends, look at me. Jesus alone is the author and finisher of our faith. Number two, there is no salvation without sacrifice. There is no salvation without sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The living lamb may be cute and cuddly, but it saves no one unless the lamb dies. His blood is no good. In God's economy, only shed blood can forgive sin. And I'm telling you right now, the great lamb of God, Jesus, must go to the cross to save the world. And he did. Do you see the lamb? And third and finally, if you refuse God's lamb, there is no other plan. Look at me. There's no other plan. He's made everything possible, even the impossible he's made possible. But it happens through the lamb. No other way. Suppose an Israelite was to say, this plan of sacrificing an animal and putting it on the doorpost, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do that. Did you know, guess what? They would have lost their firstborn too. They would have lost their firstborn. Thank God he had a plan. See, the same is true for church members. Church, I'm going to talk to you for a moment. Real transparent. Are you ready? You aren't saved by coming to Freedom Life. 
Some of the Israelites might have thought, hey, I'm one of God's people. So automatically he's going to pass over. That's no different than a person that goes to church. He's not just going to pass. It has to be about the blood. It has to be about the blood. You can say who you are, do what you want, think what you want. But guess at the end of the day, if there's no blood, there's no forgiveness. If there's no forgiveness, there's condemnation. There's death. That's the only outcome. It doesn't matter at all how many times you attend the church. When God looks down from heaven, the only thing that matters is, do I see the blood of the Lamb? In Egypt that night, there was wild screaming, I'm sure. Shrieks and wailing, women crying, parents, fathers shouting. Death was everywhere. can imagine what that was like. Firstborn sons and daughters dying in their sleep. Firstborn cattle dead in their stalls. Not a family had left untouched by that death angel. Why did they have to die? Because there was no blood on the door. There's no blood on the door. Do you see the lamb? It's the blood of the lamb that saves us. So my statement is simply this. You need the lamb. He has arrived and you need him. Today, if you find yourself, well, I'm a good attendee of church. I'm pretty faithful. I serve here and there and everywhere. Let's just forget all that for a moment. Do you know the lamb? Because you need the lamb. You must trust in the blood for the forgiveness of your sins. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to respond in your way today. Can we do that together? I can ask you to bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. I pray today that you allow us to see your will unfold in our lives. I see the Lamb. I trust the Lamb. I'll help all those at the sound of my voice do the same. In Jesus' name I pray.